We have a quick announcement before we get into the episode. Every year our church celebrates Reformation Day. We gather together, we have a a good meal together, and we have some talks that express what God has done. As it says in Judges 2.10, the next generation that came after Joshua, they forgot who God was and what he had done. And if we want to be strong as a church, we need to remember what God has done. And in Reformation Day, you know, 500 and a few years ago, God really changed things. And it's important for us to remember that, to have hope for the future and to have an expectation that God will continue to change things and improve things because he is the one that is putting all his enemies under his feet. This year on October 29th, 2021, we'll be gathering together to celebrate Reformation Day. We'd like to invite you to join us if you're in the Raleigh area to come and and have a good meal with us. It's free, free of charge. We'll talk about what God has done. It's a time to celebrate together. If you're not in the Raleigh area, please join us by, by live stream. We hope to be live streaming it as well. The place to find out more information is CelebrateReformationDay.com. Welcome to The Conquering Truth. I'm Dan Horn. I'm Jonathan Sides. I'm Charles Churchill. And I'm Joshua Horn. So 50 years ago, Halloween was a a holiday that was just for little children. It was kind of a minor holiday, certainly in terms of money spent, in terms of time spent. You know, Easter was a much more significant holiday. Thanksgiving was a more significant holiday. Obviously, Christmas was. And now, Halloween has surpassed all of the holidays except for Christmas. And in terms of the money spent, the time spent on it, so how do we come to be a culture that is, that is so fascinated with Halloween, and what does that say about us? Tonight, we're not really planning on having a debate about whether or not it's appropriate for children to dress up like bumblebees and ask the neighbors for candy. That's just not what we're, what we're here for. What we're trying to do, though, is say, you know, we want to help people who are listening to this podcast think about Halloween and and watch what's happened in our culture as we become more and more fascinated with Halloween, as it becomes more and more of an adult activity, as it becomes more and more macabre. Just figure out what is this saying about us as a people? Is this saying that we are drifting more and more towards righteousness or drifting more and more away from righteousness? Yeah, I mean, one of the underlying principles that we've, I mean, I think every, every episode is sort of built around the idea of how do we think about things biblically? And there's this part of it where every action starts with a thought. And so there's this, you know, and it's it's the old, it's really easy to see people when they become defensive about something going, we're, ju- we're just doing this. There's no reason for why we're doing this. And that's never true. There's always a reason behind things. And so there's this part of it where, like you said, it is dressing up as a bumblebee the problem? And the question is, is why are you dressing up as a bumblebee? Why are you doing all of this in the first place? What is this really about? And what does it mean to participate in it? And, and this kind of goes back to one of the, the first episode that we recorded, uh, but it was kind of about why it matters what you celebrate. In fact, I believe that was the title. <laughs> <laughs> and one of the points that we were trying to make there is that the holidays in your society tell you a lot about the society. You look at scripture, scripture puts spends quite a bit of time as a percentage talking about the holidays. God set out holidays for the people uh, to remember certain things. And even in uh, so- societies where holidays aren't set by God or we aren't following holidays set by God, th- what we choose to replace that with tells us a lot about 
about us. The day that we choose to, the days that we choose to shut down our society, our normal activities, and do something different, it tells you about the values of the society. And anybody that has children know that you, you know, they do something stupid, and you walk over to them and you say, "Why did you do that?" And they say, "I don't know." <laughs> and that's a normal child's response. But how do we get to the point where adults go, I don't know, it's just what we do. And we, we wouldn't accept that as a child, we shouldn't accept that from a child. Because the reality is, they did something because they chose to do it. And they had reasons why they chose to do it. They don't want to tell you frequently, but they had reasons why they want to do it. And to, to turn around and say, oh, we should be childlike and just go, I don't know. Well, that isn't how we should be acting and walking through life. There's things that are driving us to do it. You know, a lot of people get dressed up on Halloween because everybody else does it. Well, that's a reason that tells specific things about you. And so what you're choosing to do, whether it's to dress up as a bumblebee and go ask for candy, it is saying real things. And people should examine their motives and the motives of the people around them and the motives that they're, they're teaching their children. I mean, one way to look at it would be to say, imagine that you're an archaeologist who's examining American culture in 200 years, or you're an anthropologist, and you would say, well, what is, what do the rituals and festivals of this 21st century United States say about the people there? And, you know, if we were looking at the Aztecs and they were doing these things, we'd say, oh, they have an unnatural obsession with death, or something like that, try and you know, come up with reasons why people were doing it. And just go ahead and beat the archaeologist to the punch and do it yourself. Why is it that we as Americans are doing this particular holiday the way that we're doing it? Why are we spending so much money on it? Why do we dedicate so much time and space and energy and effort? And now we've got blow-up yard decorations even for this holiday. So so what is the what is the core of uh, of Halloween? I mean, assume I'll answer my own question. The theme obviously is death, it's uh, evil, the supernatural, these type these type of things. Darkness, right? It's typically Darkness. a big one. You know, most of the Christmas you do in the morning, <laughs> Halloween you do at night. I mean, these things, right? I mean, there is a, a nature of it that's very different. And I think one core thing here is that one of the big attacks on Halloween is, oh, you know, this is all about demon worship. And I think it's almost, in a way, it's almost the opposite. I think it's intentionally trivializing and making a game and making a joke out of things that are serious, whether it is death or whether it is demons or witches. It's saying these things aren't really real. We can just joke about it. We can pretend about it. And we all know that these are just myths that we're doing that have no meaning. On my way over here, I had to pass our local haunted forest, and their parking lot was absolutely packed early in the evening because people are willing to pay money to be fake scared. And, and you know, this is a great fun evening to have with your friends. Get a whole bunch of your college buddies together, and we're going to go, and we're going to pay money for someone to fake scare us. And I do think, I mean, it's worth going to Hebrews too, where it, I mean, this is the power, I mean, this is, this is the power that Satan has is that it's the fear, the death, that it's this idea that, that, you know, death is out there and death is waiting for us. And, you know, it says in Hebrews 2, 14 and 15, 
Inasmuch then as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared in the same, that through death he might destroy him who had the power of death, that is the devil, and release those who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. So anybody that's not saved, the, their position of everyone who's not saved is that they're in bondage because of fear of death. And so when you look at the church not giving a, a release of that fear, people have to figure out other ways to release it. And Halloween and the growth of Halloween, I think, is directly correlates to the decline in the church and the decline of preaching of the true gospel and truly giving people hope. And it's the reason why it was a holiday for little children when we were growing up is because when I was growing up, the church hadn't really accepted it yet. The church was very much against it. And so there's this part of it where the church's influence in the world is enough to deal with them concerning how they think about death. And there's a, and then that begins to wane. And then even the church begins to say, how do we think about death? And the reason why, it's a, why it goes into adults, I mean, it's one of those things when you're a kid, kids, are just, kids were just in it for the candy. Right, I mean, when you when you go back to Halloween, kids were just in it because they got the candy, or dressing up like a bumblebee, or dressing up. Well, and I I think that there was another element to that before that too, because you know, like I remember growing up that we you know a skeleton was one of the costumes that we had in the family. <laughs> I can't imagine what that looks like. Can you, Jonathan? <laughs> I, I can't tell a falsehood. <laughs> but part of it is right. A lot of little kids are afraid of certain things. They're afraid of the dark. They're afraid. And so when you did this thing, it's almost going, you don't need to be afraid of it. Right? It's like, you right. know, it's, I know it's, what you mean. It's, it was... it's like the fairy tales. A lot of the fairy tales were to do just the opposite, right? Don't go in that, that wood or there's that witch that's going to take you and put her in, you know, she's going to eat you. And, you know, all these, these things that we're trying. And I think in the U.S. that part of when Halloween comes in, it's to – make people not be afraid and to take little children and kind of move them away from the fear of those things. When the I was a fearful child, thing for was, a child was to go out in the dark and to talk to strangers. Right. And so you made them go out in the dark and talk to <laughs> or strangers. Or talk to their neighbors. Yeah. And the other thing is they're afraid of bones. They're afraid. I mean, they're afraid right. of the idea of death. So you make them right. dress up like the idea of death and they go talk to strangers out in the dark. And so it was to, to help them overcome their fear by mocking it in a lot of ways, right? Because you go trick or treat. Well, the trick or treat is I have power over that stranger you don't want to talk to because I'll do something mean to you if you don't give me a treat. Right. And so it was about empowering children. It was about getting them over their Or fear. even the it ritual about, gave you power over them that if you walked up and right. held out wearing your mask and holding your bag, they would have to give you candy, which meant it gave you a controlled social scenario that you could deal with other people. You know, Right. But So even in that, it's like dealing with the fear of children. And that's at a point where the church is still speaking that there is a real way to remove the fear, right? Because you have more of the idea of the real gospel that removes the fear of death. But so it's to kind of deal with this as children. But then I can remember like when I was in, probably I was in high school when the first Halloween movie came out or maybe college. And I mean, it was a pretty big shift when the first Halloween movie came out because all of a sudden it becomes this real horror thing. Right. And it's it's the same thing, though, that the person walking into the movie theater, they do not expect to die. <laughs> Just like when they go to the haunted forest, they're scared, but they also know nobody's going to kill them. 
And so it's a way to mock death. It's a way to go, I don't really need to be afraid of these things because they won't really get me. So I can forget there is a time that death will really get you. And it's to put that shell there so that you kind of forget about it and say, oh, yeah, I can just mock death. You know, the, the problem of death, the fear of death is something that every culture has to have some sort of answer for. If they're not going to go with, uh, with the Christian answer, you know, that Christ has conquered death for believers and that unbelievers' death is just the foretaste of the second death. If they don't have that answer from Christianity, they have to come up with their own solution, whether it's kind of an atheistic thing where... You know, death is just a reminder that we need to live in the moment and get whatever pleasure we can out of life. That's one answer. You could come up with your own religious false god system with some sort of afterlife, but you have to have an answer to death. And the fact that Halloween is America's number one holiday doesn't mean that we have, as a culture, as a secular culture, an answer to death. Because I think it'd be, you know, it's not hard to argue that modern American culture people think about death in a serious way less than almost every other culture in history. You know, we have this um, idea that we know is wrong, that we're going to live forever, and that, you know, the doctors can heal us when we're sick, that we will live forever. And Halloween plays its part in that, in to, to say death is a joke, death is, let's mock it, let's forget about it, let's turn, turn fear and death into a joke, and not actually think about it in, in a real way. And, you know, for so many Americans, you know, death, you start to think about death when you're in your 80s. You don't think about it when you're in your 20s, which is exactly what you're saying. And and the little bit that you might have an inclination to think about it, you go make fun of it, right? I mean, that's the way to forget it. Or you go, I don't shouldn't really be afraid of this. It's like a movie. Right. And if you walk through um, graveyards from the 17th century, you'll see things like uh, the, the iconography that looks a bit like Halloween. Um, you have skulls with, with wings on them, you know, some stuff that seems very morbid. And they have this shared uh, imagery with modern Halloween yard decorations. But the purpose of it is very different because their purpose was to say, you know, remember that we're going we're gonna to become skulls and remember death is important. We need to be remembering death, that we will all die, that we will stand before God in judgment, and we need to be prepared for that day. And that is not absolutely not the message of halloween is that you need to be prepared for your death prepared and knowing that you're going to die so many churches were intentional about that right i mean you'd have the graveyard surrounding the church so that anybody that's going to church they're reminded death is not some far off thing your your grandfather's there your father's there death is right here it's right there and then you walk into the church and they used to bury the people in the aisle of the church so that you're stepping on the people's graves so as you go to church you're reminded this is about life and death and so it's not some halloween that says that you need to deal with it but weekly as you go to church you're going this is about life and death right you're going to have a vast contrast between a between a Puritan funeral sermon and a modern funeral sermon. Your average is going to be, oh, remember what a good person this this was. Let's just remember them versus remember you're going to die. Look at the tombstone. Look at the hourglass on it that is that is going down. Look at the skull. We're going to become skulls, all of us. Be ready for that. Or and even, even just, you know, a regular sermon where a pastor has in his mind that he is a dying man preaching to a congregation of dying people and that, death is appointed for all of them and that's what they're dealing with and yet be able to have the hope 
and say, death, where is your sting? Because we serve a resurrected God. You know, so there's this, there's this, there is a righteous way to mock death that the Christian has. The Christian's got all the tools for that. Halloween isn't it. Halloween is a coping mechanism. It's an attempt to do exactly the thing that the Christian faith can succeed at because the Christian faith can look beyond death and see, oh, there's hope. There is life everlasting. When you put a body in the ground, it's going to come back to life. But the unbeliever who doesn't have any kind of hope and resurrection, it doesn't have those sorts of tools. All you can do is mock the things in the moment. Some person might hear us say mocking death and go, I'm not really mocking death. But in the end, if you think of it as a coping mechanism, that is what we mean by that is, I mean, I used to work as a paramedic. And if you, if you talk to people who work like in the emergency services field, you you deal with death all the time. And so because you deal with death, you tend to use humor as a way to, to, to deal with the death around you. You kind of try to desensitize yourself to certain things. They tend to have fairly, uh, fairly dark senses of humor. They'll make fun of things. And, and there's this part of it where because they say, <laughs> I have to deal with this every day, but they don't, they, we very much don't want to deal with it at the depth with which it means. And there's a part of it where it would, it would really harm you if you were constantly dealing with it without the right way of thinking about it. And so if you don't have a right way of thinking about it, what do you do? How do you actually handle that? And this is this is literally the problem that people have is, you know, as you get older, your death begins to loom in the distance. And what do you do? And so Halloween is our national therapy for death. It is one of our forms of national therapy for death and a way to put off thinking about it in a serious way. And there's another aspect to it, right? Because mocking is inherently a statement of power. Right. When you mock death, you're saying you have power over death. The death doesn't have power over you because it's inherently dishonorable towards it, right? I mean, if you mock God, you're saying you're more important than God, you know? And so mocking directly relates to power. And so one of the reasons that people in Halloween is largely about mocking death is they're saying, I have power over death. And it's a lie. It's no different than that Halloween movie where the person's coming with the knife and they're not going to kill you. You don't need to be afraid. It's all fake. But yet there's this idea that even though the fear of death is the power that sin has over you is because you see the judgment to come you mock it to say it doesn't have power over me but it's all a lie as much as as much as halloween's a lie i mean that's really important to emphasize is that that we do have a need to mock this thing and the need, the reason we have a need to mock it is because we're sinners and because we're sinners it's there and and we're all going to have to deal with it at some point and to the extent that it comes up before us you've got to cope with it and, and, and the way that we've chosen to cope with it is to make fun of it and spend money making fun of it. We're spending more and more money making fun of it. And you look at our society and our society, right? I mean, most societies in the history of the world, death is like right there, right? And I'm not even talking about human death. I mean, you want meat, death is right there, right? I mean, that's the history of the world is that most people had death in front of them all the time. And now we don't have death in front of us. We have shrink wrap packages in the grocery store. And so these few places that we have death, even there we're trying to get rid of them. And so we put a lot of emphasis on Halloween because 
it's kind of the one time in the year that people think about death, unless they have to actually go to a funeral, which, you know, in Ecclesiastes 7, it says what a blessing it is to go to the house of mourning, because you're forced to think about death. We're a society that doesn't think about death, and the one time that we do it is we mock it. And even in funerals, you know, even even you look at how the bodies are are handled, you know, I mean, the mortician's job that society gives them is to take this body and make them look lifelike like death you know that has they're no just, sting yeah i mean and they have to do serious things because the body quickly deteriorates um and you know it's just to pretend like yeah this person is dead but let's just pretend like it didn't happen so that we can look at them one last time and we've we've been talking mostly about about mocking death but i but mocking demons mocking witches that type of thing is very similar, um, you know, to, to pretend like there aren't supernatural forces out there by making a joke of it. That's that's doing the same thing as mocking death. And, and there's even a part of it when you talk about, I mean, so when I was growing up, Halloween was, you know, the, the way the church dealt with it is they talked about it as this demonic holiday. and But their their definition of demons was kind of this cartoonish, caricaturish, Catholic the version Halloween of, maybe almost. <laughs> right. I mean, right, it's not... It's not about pentagrams. It's and so there's this there's this cartoonish version of it in people's heads, and that's part of the mockery. Right. We've we've it's, really it's caused problems like with that. It's kind of like the Pentecostal view of like the Holy Spirit, right? Is that the work of the Holy Spirit is this big showy thing, right? You speak in tongues, you heal somebody, you slap somebody on the forehead right. and say you're healed, and we do kind of the same thing with demons, is that we expect it to be a show, right? Rather than Demons just, <laughs> yeah, getting up in the morning and being and depressed. principalities and, of the air. This is this is right. the work of demons, and and yes, it doesn't. You know, our flesh, the world, and the devil. We're fighting all right. three of them. It's not just one of them, but we shouldn't make it that it's not spiritual at lower levels as well. Right. Instead of just being, you know, the demon is the one that's that's making you roll around in the fire or whatever instead right. of there's other things that demons have real influence on. Right. right. I mean, demons can put on the show when God yes. allows them, but that's not their purpose. Their, their goal. We have no reason to think their goal is to make, to do shows, but more to lead people away from God and to cause. Sin and that's kind of what I mean is that a demon would be perfectly satisfied causing you to sin in any way whatsoever. That would be, that would be good. You know, as I think over my early life, way back then, um, that as you look, that it was mostly towards children, then you start to get the movies out, and you start to get it towards more adults. And then when you get to college, the things that were happening on Halloween at the college, it starts to become, you've already mocked death, you've already mocked the demons, and now all of a sudden you end up mocking sin as a slave of sin, which means you go, if I put a mask on, then I commit sexual i could commit fornication it's not a big deal i can you know even the trick-or-treat if you look back at where trick-or-treat came from i mean it not many people got treats they used to i mean you know i was looking at it today and you know there's a picture of a postcard that you could send for halloween where somebody is stealing two young boys are stealing a gate because there was one city that called it some name after gates because all the cow pastors, all the young men would go and steal all the gates so that the cows would all get out. And it was a big problem. You know, there was like a guy who they put a fake body on a railroad track and the locomotive engineer had to slam on the brakes to not hit the body because he thought it was a real body. And then, you know, there's 50 kids there that are all laughing at him. 
I mean, these were the things that were happening. It was, it was a day where it was openly accepted to be rebellious. So even though when it comes to America, in a lot of places, it was not that way. But that's what it came from Europe as, mostly England and Scotland and Ireland. But it came as a time where you're allowed to do evil. Right. You're allowed to get away with, with doing things at any other day of the year. You'd potentially even get arrested for and and what you're saying is that with this particular night, it's now become just. It's a night of debauchery. It's, it's a night where sin is just completely unconstrained because you're not willing for sin to have any kind of substance or content to it. It's like, well, we're going to mock death. We might as well mock the sorts of things that lead to death as well. Right. And I think even you go back and, you know. It was a common thing for a man to dress as a woman. They would never think of doing it any other day of the year. That would just not be even cross their mind. That would just be horrible. But on Halloween, that was a pretty common thing. And so, I mean, these things were just taken out of the realm of things that were obviously sinful. And on Halloween, it was acceptable. And it was, oh, isn't that funny? Instead of, what's wrong with you? And I mean, and again, growing up, you celebrate it after dark. Right. And that's, I mean, when you talk about walking in darkness, I mean, it's just, Scripture's really clear. They they love the dark because there are things they can do in the dark that they could not do in the daytime. There are things that other people, if they saw them doing in the daytime, they would be shocked by them. But if they, you know I mean? And, and, and there's a communal aspect that everybody says, that night we'll do things in the dark that other times we wouldn't do. Right. Because, I mean, like my roommate who dressed as a woman one year at Halloween, I mean, I didn't wear a costume then, by the way. <laughs> but my roommate who dressed as a woman, I mean, there's not a chance he would have done that. And there's not a chance that the other people on the football team, he was the captain of the football team, that they would not have, like, unmercifully mocked him if he did it. But that day everybody accepts it's okay to sin that way. It's just right. there's not a problem. In that communal acceptance of sin, it's not even just individual. It's communal that Halloween is the night that you go sin. Right. Working, I said, working as a paramedic, that was the that was like that was the worst. That night has to, have to be to the worst in the night. ER, in the ER. You know, what I mean, and you just you hear. I wasn't there for very long, but I mean, but just you hear the people who've worked there for years just telling you their Halloween horror stories of people do the most incredibly ridiculous things like literally what you're saying things that they would have never done under other circumstances however bad it was they would do worse on that night because one of the big constraints that we have in life is we think about death and if you mock death you're not as concerned about it so you're willing to go do st stupid things that you right. wouldn't do other times and you know taking it back to scripture the bible talks about this i mean mm -hmm. in really plain terms 1 John 1, 5-7, This is the message which we have heard from him and declare to you, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his Son, cleanses us from all sin. So, I mean, the argument that we've been making isn't that because people do things after dark on Halloween— ergo it's wicked it's more that everything associated with halloween is metaphorical darkness that also happens to 
happen during physical <laughs> darkness because it's easier to do these kinds right. of things when it's not daylight. And and when you when you put it it that way, look at every time your Bible talks about darkness and light, and it's just it's super plain where righteousness is and where wickedness is. As a society, you know, this is growing to be a bigger and bigger part of our society because as a society, we're we're more and more willing to accept wickedness and in accepting that wickedness. You know, it does tie to Halloween, but then it flows out in the rest of our lives. And so that we're accepting more and more things that God clearly says are evil, clearly says are darkness. And we say, no, this is light. The girl who says, I'm really a boy and I'm not a girl. I mean, that's just very, very dark. But now we've gotten to the point where we accept that during the day. And we shouldn't, and, you know, I can look back and see the, the 55 years or whatever, I'm older than that, but that's what I remember. The 55 years. <laughs> yes, I don't remember the other 2,000. <laughs> the 55 years and just see the, the shift in our culture. And I do think they tie together. I mean, and it's, it's synergistic, meaning you do more in Halloween and things are more acceptable in other times. And then because things are more acceptable in other times, you have to go more extreme on Halloween. And you get this, you know, this synergy that keeps building, but it is an embrace of darkness in our society. And it really reflects it in Halloween. Probably up to history by now. Well, it's no, not about who you are. Okay, yeah, you're right. Who wants to start that? Go for it, Joshua. All yours. <laughs> you want me Pass. To <laughs> I can't if you need to. I mean, go ahead. And so there's a part of it where. When you think about how we, you know the both the the mockery of death and as well as us being a, a slave of death, this goes back in scripture where God is talking to Israel where you want we want to deny that we are slaves to sin. We want to deny that we are going to fall under the curse of death. And so in Isaiah twenty eight fourteen to fifteen, God says, "Therefore, hear the word of the Lord, you scornful men who rule this people who are in Jerusalem, because you have said we have made a covenant with death." And with Sheol we are in agreement. When the overflowing scourge passes through, it will not come to us, for we have made lies our refuge, and under falsehood we have hidden ourselves. And right, and that's a picture of everybody that goes on and puts a costume, even if it's a bumblebee costume. They're hiding themselves under lies, right? I mean, this is this is the very nature of what people are doing. And when you make a covenant with death, that's what you want to do. You want to hide yourself under lies. I think a lot of people would ask, uh, how is it a lie if no one is fooled and no one in any way thinks that this kid is a bumblebee? And it's because they're hiding themselves so that they can get away with things that they wouldn't otherwise be able to. And there is that sense that everybody knows it's a lie, but that doesn't change it from being a lie. And, and growing up, right, kids would do, like, really nasty things when they were, I mean. The bumblebee would sting the dad. And the dad has to kind of let the bumblebee sting him because the dad said he's a bumblebee. And the bumblebee comes over and does something. You know what I mean? And the, Why are the you bumblebee putting stingers on your bumblebee? Well, <laughs> he, he doesn't have Bumble one. He, he just sting. pretends he has one. Or the kid goes, I smell honey. And he goes over to something and he's eating something that he, he shouldn't, wouldn't let him. And you go, and he looks at you and he goes, that's what bumblebees do. 
and you have this moment where you have to either you are not a bumblebee, you are a child, you know what I mean? Why do you have that mask on to look like a bumblebee? But you've told him he could put it on. And there's another aspect that I remember growing up is there were always kids in the neighborhood that they had a mask, so it was a good time to steal other people's candy. You know what I mean? And it is they people are hidden. They've right. hidden themselves, and they said, it's not really me. And sometimes they do it so that they don't get caught doing things. But a lot of times, I mean, it's to hide themselves so that they don't they don't have to be accountable for their actions. Right. And when you look at Jesus Christ talking to the Pharisees, he says, woe to you hypocrites. Woe to you who are trying to look something different than you are. And when we say everybody should wear a costume, that is kind of what we're saying, is that you should be you should be something different than you are. And people who make a covenant with death, that's what they want to do. They want to be somebody different. So they want to dress up and they want to look like, oh, look, I'm the, the newest superhero or whatever it is, because they want to be somebody different than they are. And it's a rejection of, of God's sovereignty and satisfaction with where God has you because you're trying to escape. And uh, down in, in verse 18 of that same passage, he tells them, your covenant with death will be broken. You know, I mean, it, your your agreement will be annulled, and I mean, it's and it's just really clear. I mean, this is there's this part of it where God doesn't, God will not let your illusion last. There's a period of time where you can lie to yourself, and I mean, and who hasn't, as you get older, you know, there's a point where you feel something, and you read about a friend of yours who had cancer, and there's that moment where you go, maybe I have cancer. And you're reminded that you can die. And you've told yourself you can't die. You've told yourself I'm too young to die. You've told yourself all these things. But all of a sudden you are confronted with it. And this is God piercing your bubble. And a lot of it's not even that I can't die. It's just that I don't need to think about that. Right. right? I mean, it's just you just ignore it. Right. This has been an interesting year and a half of COVID where very much that element has been what's been driving everything. It's been this fear of death, rational or otherwise. Some people have actually died from it, but but that's what everybody's been afraid of is, oh, I could get this thing that could kill me. Right. And and it's caused us to do a lot of really crazy things because we haven't been able to understand, hey, what's God say about this? And and it goes back to what we were saying before is even though it's a coping mechanism, it's not a very good one. I'll give right. you something it, that you can't cope with. Right. I mean it's you know, it's we've we think we've we think we've managed to wrap our head around death, and all of a sudden, yeah, it, it, it comes, and we are not prepared. We are not prepared at all. And, and it is a shift of the reason why it was a, a for children is because there was a part of it where even among the unsaved, there was a view of the sovereignty of God. There was an, ex- there was, there was an acceptance. The reason why we were willing to accept the risk of the world is because there was a view of the sovereignty of God. Even they didn't, they wouldn't sit down and tell you it's the sovereignty of God, but you talk to people and they would go, I mean, God's in control. And they meant it. God's in control. And that's how they coped with the world. And that's how they coped with life. And now people are going, God's not in control. No one's in control. We thought maybe we could be in control. President Biden's not in control. No one's in control. And they're freaking out. Yeah, I mean, you look at, you were talking about in Isaiah 28, verse 18, about the, you know, overflowing scourge and, you know, in 14 and 15. Well, in between there is the only solution that actually deals with the covenant of death, right? And that's Isaiah 28, 16. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, behold, I lay in Zion a stone for a foundation, a tried stone, a precious cornerstone, a sure foundation. 
whoever believes will not act hastily. This is the only solution. But how many churches are going, Christ is the solution to the fear of death? Because you don't hear that much. But Christ breaks the fear of death. That's what faith in Christ does, is because now it becomes about eternal life rather than temporal life, so death wears your sting. You would think it would be the most logical thing. If you're afraid of death, go and put your faith in the guy who died and came back to life. Right. That would be a good solution. If like, okay, I might die, but I could trust the guy who came back to life and is the first fruits of the dead. Yeah, you made a covenant with Sheol that you won't go into the grave, and guess what? That's not true, but then you have the one who actually, without making a covenant with Sheol, he's the one that came out of the grave, and that didn't need to worry about the grave, and everybody that follows him. Yeah, the one that's greater than death. We're not talking about fear right, and we're not dealing with fear of death right. They, They give this answer that there's hope after death in Christ, but they don't say, but today... The fear of death is broken. But, you know, we've been talking about Halloween, and I do think it's worth going back and considering how did we get here because it has a long history. I mean, and it, it, its history goes back to the Druids. And, and the reason it's this time of year is because the days are starting to get shorter. And historically, most people died during the wintertime. I mean, that's so you have your harvest, right? That's October, your harvest month. And then at the end of your harvest month, you go, will we make it through the winter or not? And so the Druids thought that there was one day a year where they would, where the spiritual realm and the physical realm touched each other and came very close to each other. And so they would cut faces into to gourds. We do it in pumpkins now. They're bigger and rounder. But they would, and so that they would look demonic. And they would... They would play tricks on each other because this is when the, the spiritual, the evil demons out in the woods came and met with the people so that they would do tricks on each other. And, I mean, this is going back 2,500 years ago or something or more that, that this is what was happening. And then when Pope Gregory goes, okay, so we have this All Saints Day, and it's in May. Well, we'll move it for the English and the, you know, the English-speaking people that, you know, great— what we now call the United Kingdom in Great Britain, that that we'll move it and we'll make it the first day of November so that we can match this Druid festival so these people, we can take this and we can make it Roman Catholic or what they would call the church at that point. And so this then they started to keep these same patterns and they brought it into the church because the Roman Catholic doctrine doesn't really have hope either. I mean, and so they're giving this false hope. And so both of them are, we can have power over demons, is essentially what the Roman Catholic Church did. So they merged these together. And then in the United States, it doesn't really come in the United States until the Roman Catholics start moving here, because it is very much a Roman Catholic holiday. And so in Puritan New England, it didn't happen. It didn't really start to happen until the mid-19th century, because that's when you get a lot of the Irish coming in, a lot of the Catholics coming in. And so it's been building here for a while, but we need to recognize that the root of it is a very different doctrine than the root of the doctrine of the American church. Which is why it took, I mean, which, which is where the, res, when you see the resistance of it, I mean, you can track it with the erosion of the American church. I mean, it's, it's, it's very interesting to watch, and it happens, I mean, 
you can watch it happen throughout history. And so to tie back to the history in a second, um, you have a lot of churches that don't like Halloween, so they want their own thing that they can do that people can still dress up and eat candy and whatever. And so they do fall festivals, which is a big missed opportunity because they could do Reformation Day. I mean, all Protestants uh, look back to the Reformation, and that has a big connection with uh, with Halloween because Martin Luther nails the 95 Theses to the church door in Wittenberg on October 31st, which is Halloween for a reason because it's um, – all Hallows Eve, it's the day or the evening before All Saints Day, which is what you're talking about. So he does it on that evening because the next day is this big festival where everyone's going to be coming into town and celebrate the holiday. And so, you know, there, you know, it's it's very connected. It's the, the, the and the fact that everyone goes for the fall festival is a is a bit of a mistake when you have this thing right there in front of you that's explicitly countering. And, and is something that is talking about the hope. It is talking about the victory. It is talking about about how God can change the world when you look at it. And it's not the hopeless event that is Halloween. When you look at the Reformation Day and how much that changed the world, that's what the church should be talking about, how God actually blesses his people and how he changes the world through his people instead of, you know, we should all just be filled with fear. And fake fear that we can laugh at at the end. And if you, your church is interested in celebrating Reformation Day, you can go to CelebrateReformationDay.com. It's the page where, that we have our Reformation Day, but it talks about, how, you know, the, the practice and some of the specifics of it and how to, you know, if you wanted to start your own, kind of some of the ways that you could think about it. And You know, and, and Halloween comes from, you know, the English thing because it was tying to that, but... You know, in Germany, you have kind of the same, you know, worship of the dead at the same time of year. That's when they start their their pre-Lent festival because they were supposed to give stuff up for Lent so that they do is have a couple months where they had no constraint of sin. And that started November 1st. So, you know, in the, the Gulf War, the government canceled that. So some people said, hey, why don't we bring Halloween to, to Germany? So they've only been celebrating it since 1991, but that's because they already had this festival that was embracing sin and mocking death beforehand. And you look at the Day of the Dead in Spanish cultures. I mean, it's the same thing. It's about mocking death, and it's about the same time of year. So this is, this is historically where people have syncretized when they're afraid of the world and they're afraid of the darkness that's coming, they're afraid of the coldness that's coming, this is when people get sick. This is when people die. So they're afraid of that. So they have these events that that is, you know, all over the world where they have these events where it's where you mock death. And, I mean, hey, it's understandable because winter is the time when everything dies. It's right. And it's there as a picture for us of what life is like. And it's also, you know, when we start celebrating these kinds of ways, it's telling us you don't really understand that there is hope that there's a spring that's coming. Right. And it's it's really a rejection of that spring in a lot of ways. If you look at Roman Catholic doctrine, which is very much you're saved by yourself or you're saved by your parents baptizing you. You're, it's all about your work. In the end, you see why they, if it's all about your work, you need to mock death because you're the one that has to overcome death. And that's why with real Christianity, you don't need that because it's Christ that overcame death. So. You know, as the Roman Catholic view of soteriology and stuff comes into the church, there'll be more and more of this. That's that's what's been happening over the last, you know, 70 years, and I expect it to continue to happen, although with the rise of more Calvinists and more, you know, 
the doctrines of grace being broader accepted. It was in the previous episode. <laughs> yeah, that like Joshua did that. Good job, Joshua. <laughs> but in in the previous episode with Joshua, no, <laughs> but in the you know as we as we think about it and we think about you know how um, doctrine really matters and the way you view God really matters and whether He actually solves the problem that needs to be solved, which is the problem of death. And I would argue that as you see more Roman Catholic doctrine embraced in non-Roman Catholic churches, right? It's the view of God that is the, is the Roman Catholic doctrine. As you see that broader and broader, it, the church has less and less of an answer to death. And so it wants these other things to overcome that and to mock that. And, I mean, doctrine really matters, and there's a reason that it was Catholic doctrine on this particular night that you mm-hmm. get this particular holiday, because if you believe that when you die— that there's still more work to be done in order to get yourself to heaven, then there's a whole lot more reason to fear death. And there's a reason you could fear, oh, there are ghosts that might come back because they're not yet in heaven. They're still working their way there. They're in this intermediate right. state that there's just no biblical framework for whatsoever. If you, if you want to believe something other than the blood of Jesus Christ and faith in that alone is sufficient, then you're going to have to come up with mechanisms like this to deal with the very present reality of death. Another aspect of this history of uh, how this how Halloween kind of started with this syncretism with with the world. I mean, one thing that a lot of people back in the Middle Ages would have thought is, you know, yes, I go to church, I do my uh, do my Catholic rites, but I also, you know, I'll also do a little pagan superstition, you know, I'll do a little... Uh, thing to appease the demons on the demons terms and I'll do a little to appease them on God's terms and so they weren't you know you didn't have to pick one and I think is just looking at Mm -hmm. that in modern terms we might say well that's kind of ridiculous you're either a Christian or not a Christian but we got to be careful that we don't join in with things that are not as seriously specifically demonic but we're still syncretizing with the world by adopting the world's celebration of death mockery of death we could end up be doing that exact same thing um, by in a non-religious way that is could be equally as destructive. And when we do talk about mocking death, I mean, there is a Christian way to mock death, and that's light. And that's to spread light and to bring light. You know what I mean? I mean, there is this part of it where the the proper way is God mocks death. Jesus Christ mocks death, who has authority over death. And by teaching the truth of God's word— by preaching the God, by preaching God's word, by worshiping God in spirit and in truth, death is mocked in the appropriate way, as opposed to taking part in works of darkness to mock death, as opposed to celebrating or worshiping death to mock death. Worshiping God puts death in its proper perspective, which is, I mean, and so to the extent, like you're saying, where Scripture says, when Scripture says, where is your sting, that's a form of mockery of death. And there is a part of it where speaking in that way, that's an acceptable way to mock it because it's true. It is the Word of God. And if God has given you freedom from death, you can say these things, freedom from the fear of death. Your declaration of that is an appropriate mockery of death. You know what I mean? And so mm-hmm. you don't you don't need to participate in the other in the other forms because that's not how Christianity mocks death. We've been, you know, we just did one, or a, we did an episode on, on big tech and government interceding on that. A lot of people look to the government as their God. 
In other words, that they're syncretizing, not that they don't say Jesus Christ is their Lord. They do, but then they turn around and say the solution to the problems is the world. It's the, it's the king. It's the government. And, and this syncretization ends up flowing out in a lot of different ways because it removes your saying, my hope is in Christ, and makes your hope in the world. And as soon as you do that, you know, just like the Roman Catholics, you start to mix this. You know, the people who are saying their hope is in the pope— well, they also have to do something to mock death. And the person who says their hope is in the government, they'll have to do something to mock death. When they say it's the government that will save us from COVID-19, they have to do something to mock death, even as they profess Christ, because they've taken out the power of Christ, in a sense, because they're saying there's this other power. And if this other, there's this other power of life and death, you have to do something to appease that power as well. And that's what the Roman Catholics were doing. We're syncretizing with all these these other pagan festivals as they're going, there's another God out there, so we need to deal with that one too. And Christians shouldn't have to do that. We should just trust that God's dealt with it. Yeah, we don't want to give too much power to the things that we're mocking. We don't want to pretend like they're more powerful than they are. And we've talked a lot about death, but this also goes to demons, that there's that you can go off one way or the other way, right? I mean, it says in... In James 4, 7, and 8, Therefore submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Meaning, in a way, it's not that hard to defeat Satan. All you do is resist him, and he'll flee. All you do is walk in righteousness, and he'll flee. It's not that hard. And at the other hand, you have to make sure that you don't give him too much power where you go, he's the one that's controlling everything. I need to do something to appease him or appease the demons. And then the other one would be, you know, the other side is in Jude 8 and 9. Likewise, also these dreamers defile the flesh, reject authorities, and speak evil of dignitaries. Yet Michael the archangel, in contending with the devil, when he disputed about the body of Moses, dared not bring against him a reviling accusation, but said, the Lord rebuke you. In, in Halloween, so there's that other side, right, where you don't treat them as if they have no power. On the one side, you go, they don't have power over me. And on the other side, you go, they're still a principality of God. And so you have that balance. And in a real sense, Halloween kind of flips it, where it goes, you mock them, and then you're doing this because of fear of what they can do. And so you give them power that they don't have, and you take power or take respect or dignity away that they do have. And that's really damaging, and I think that happens a lot, you know. And the church sometimes does this by going, ooh, you know, if we do a, you know, if your children go out and wear a bumblebee suit and go collect candy on, on Halloween, that, you know, it's a form of demon worship. I mean, that's going off. That's giving them way more power than they have. <laughs> but at the same time, we also, when you're wearing that demon thing with the little horns and the tail, that's not very respectful to who Michael, the archangel, would have said, you know, let God rebuke you. Right. We've really lost the aspect of being of being thoughtful and 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 reasoning together and thinking about. We don't think about ourselves when, when Scripture. When you read when you read Paul's letters, when you read the New Testament, when you read the Old Testament, there's a lot of talk about the authority of God and the authority that's been given to us, and us being ambassadors, and us or us being bond servants of Christ, and us. And these are real things, and they're real. They're real positions. You know, I mean, they're real positions with real mm -hmm. scopes and jurisdictions, and we don't think about these things, and we don't think about the world in this way. Instead, 
we act like little children who are afraid of death and who are doing anything we can to get a handle on it, as opposed to saying, I'm an ambassador of Jesus Christ. I'm a child of God. I'm his, I'm his servant. What things has he told me to do? How should I speak? How should I be? How do I come out from among them and be separate? How do I do that in a right way that glorifies God? Not, not acting proud, not, not mm-hmm. to lord myself over anyone, but to draw them to the one who called us out from the world and to demonstrate to them the greatness of God. And I think there's just, I mean, we've lost that sense of all these things so that when we talk about it, we become these babbling fools who, you know what I mean? We just, mm-hmm. we, we don't know what we're talking about. And part of it is I think that we don't keep, you know, I think it was Paul that wrote, you know, you do not wrestle with flesh and blood, but with powers and principalities of the air. And when we bring in Halloween, even if you're like doing, oh, I can't have my children wear a, a you know, devil suit, and I'm not advocating that you should. But on the other hand, when you go, oh, this will have power, you're, you've made it all about flesh and blood. You've made it about physical things here. And while the spiritual is bringing it to the physical, Halloween in a lot of ways is making something spiritual, physical where you can see the demon, where you can hide, where you can do all these other things, where you go out in darkness and do this, and act like there isn't the spiritual. And Christians should be going, there is the spiritual. The spiritual is what matters. Right. Your child's desire to use that to get away with something, his desire to deceive, his desire to do these things or to sin, that's much more demonic than the bumblebee costume or the costume. Or, I mean, the physical thing, like, I mean, that's, it kind of goes back to what we we're saying before is you create these, these cartoonish, ridiculous, these wrong, th- these wrong ways of thinking about the spiritual world. And it just confuses everything. It's, it is, it's more walking in darkness instead of walking in light. And so you create these weird rules that don't make, and, and your kids are like, your kids are like poking at them and they don't make sense. Well, and it's kind of like it's kind of like um, Santa Claus, where Christian parents they lie about who Santa Claus is all the time, right? They lie to their children because they want them to have this experience about who Santa Claus is. So they lie, and they don't recognize how much that undermines the trust of the child that their parents will tell them the truth. Right? You lied to them for five years about who that there is a Santa Claus, and why would you think? They'd believe you when you say there's a Jesus Christ. Right. And it's kind of the same thing here because, I mean, I, my, my parents were fairly strict growing up. I mean, they, they trained us, et cetera, et cetera. And then all of a sudden Halloween came, and it wasn't you can have one piece of candy. It was yeah, get what you can you get. Get what you can get, and you sneak some in. And, yes, you have to keep some, and you can't have it. And then the next day it switched back to one piece of day. You know, one piece of day. But there was like, and I think something like 40 or 50% of the candy sold in America is sold for Halloween. I mean, it's like a staggering percentage that's sold just for Halloween. And how many parents are saying, you can't eat candy all the time. And then they let their children eat a bunch of candy. And, you know, it's these little things where you're ignoring rules that your children then go, so these rules are totally arbitrary, aren't they? They right. don't really make sense. They're just you just made them up. As long as you have a and justification to suspend them, you can suspend them. Right. And the justification for suspending them is that you wore a costume. <laughs> and children right. are dumb. They they see these hypocrisies. They see these things, and they don't go. And there's their feast days. Sure, there's feast days to the Lord, 
And feast days are good things. And maybe you give your child a piece of pie when you wouldn't have given them a piece of pie on another day. But they would understand that this is celebrating something when what is Halloween celebrating exactly? The fact that you can wear a silly costume. And so you're suspending rules not to show glory to God or honor to God. You're showing, you're suspending the rules to testify that your rules are completely arbitrary. I remember a f- someone I went to church with years ago telling me a story about he grew up in like a Pentecostal church where there would be a guy there and he would slay people in the spirit. And he would see people go and he would touch people and they would just like go limp and, and fall down. And, and he one day the guy came over towards him and he was really excited because he's like, I'm going to get slain in the spirit. And so the guy reached out and touched him on the forehead, and he didn't feel anything. And then the guy looked at him, and he pushed him really hard and pushed him down. And he said he remembered thinking as he, you know, as he fell, oh, okay, I get it. It's just all an act. And, and he's like, and you know, next he, time it'll be a lot more comfortable, comfortable for me if I just play along with right. the and act. I mean, I just, and I just remember him telling me that. And it's like, and there's so many things in life that are like that is you tell your children it's real and then you tell them it's an act and and you think that they don't understand or see the hypocrisy in it and what they really do is they go okay i get it you just you play along okay i'll play along and just we we don't wink in front of other people right that's the rules and so it's yeah it's really easy to undermine the faith thanks for joining us we did as we discuss halloween one of the things that that I hope came across multiple times is we are to take every thought captive. Things don't happen randomly. The way our society gets there, the way that we behave, we can go, oh, I don't know. I don't know why I do these things. But there are things that are driving you. And if we're really going to take every thought captive to Christ, we have to see what's driving us so that we know whether we should repent of the things or not. And especially as our society embraces death and embraces darkness and embraces all these things, we should recognize what's driving our society and ask ourselves as the church, are we doing what we should be doing to drive back the darkness instead of furthering it? Thank you for listening. This has been The Conquering Truth, a project of Reformation Baptist Church. If you found this helpful, you can visit us online at theconqueringtruth.com and subscribe in your favorite podcast app. Thanks for listening.